because I don't deserve the privilege and the, the, the opportunity to, to preach God's word. Um, God is so amazing, and, and he's bigger than all of us, and, and yet um, and in need of none of us because he's perfectly awesome in and of himself, and yet he's called each and every one of us here this morning to hear his words, to hear his truth. He's here to speak to someone today through the message that he's given me, and um, that's just another sign of his grace and his love and his mercy, the God who always was, who is, and always will be, the God of love, the God of love. That's who we're here to hear about. You're not here to listen to just a man, but God has taken you, each and every one of you, from your lives and what you guys were doing, and he's brought you here. He's brought you here. You could be doing anything else, and yet God was gracious to stop you in your tracks, and he's brought you here today to, to hear and experience and taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. So if anybody here is distracted in any way because of some trouble, some worry, finances, whatever, some troubles in the family, I pray that God would just steady your hearts right now, this morning, to focus on the living God, creator God, to hear his voice, to hear the gospel, to know Christ. I pray that your soul and your hearts would taste of that. So any distractions this morning, I pray that God would just blow the, winds of distra- the, the clouds of distractions away from your thoughts and away from your hearts right now, and, and that you would taste and taste the God that I've tasted, because he is awesome. He's awesome. We don't deserve him. I could go on in this introduction because he's so good, but, uh, but yes, let's, um, let's get into the message today. Um, I want to just pray again. Um, I know Dan already prayed, but uh, I'd, I'd love to thrust myself at the, the, the mercies of God to, to speak through me because I need him. I need him. We need him. Father, I just thank you for this time, Lord. I want to thank you that you've, for being gracious, drawing Everyone here this morning, to the one who matters, you, God. And Father, I pray that you would just open my lips and use me, your servant, dear God, to bring to those in attendance here the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that your son would be exalted, Lord. And I pray that you would just have your way with me right now. And Father, that you would be magnified, dear God. Lord, I can speak all day up here and hearts will remain unchanged unless your Holy Spirit moves in, moves in and invades in a loving way in the hearts of souls that are dry, souls that are dark and souls that are wandering, Father. And so, Lord, open up, I pray, the floodgates of heaven and allow us, dear God, to take in the grace from you, dear God. Oh, Father, I pray that people would see Christ See Christ, Lord, and taste and know that he is good, that he is sufficient, that he is awesome, Lord. Oh, Father, oh, Father, move in a mighty way. In Christ's name I pray, amen. <clears throat> the time in which we live in is very dark, is it not? It seems that every day you open the newspapers or turn on the news, there's some outrageous crime that's happening. It seems like the running theme or the recurring theme in our nation today is one outrageous crime after another. For instance, uh, the recent incident that happened in Aurora, Colorado, where James Holmes killed so many people, devastated so many lives, and shocked this nation. 
just last week, I watched the news and it was reported that in Oakland, there were four different shootings that resulted in four deaths that happened in just the span of six hours. Six hours. That's insane. Now we can look at the actions of these men, these sinful actions, and become really angry at the sinful and evil actions that they've committed, and rightly so, because we know that such actions, such sin should be punished. There's something inside of us that says that this is wrong and that this should be punished. When thinking about a youth being sexually abused or mistreated, our hearts start to boil. We start to get unsettled inside because we know that it's such a horrendous thing to do such a thing. And people that commit such crimes are deserving of the consequences. That's how the law of this land works and it operates. You break the law, you pay the penalty for the crimes that you've committed. We clearly know that sin is evil and that something needs to be done and ultimately on that final day, God himself will eradicate and completely defeat evil. But this morning, I want to bring our attention to something that's just as evil as the sins that I've mentioned, another category of sin that might take you by surprise. There are some sins in this world that apart from God granting us the grace to know that they are sins will send us directly to hell just as murder or adultery would. There are certain sinful actions, a certain category of sin that I want to bring and I want to confront you with this morning that can creep in subtly and you would have never known that you were sinning because, you, because it comes in that way. You would never su suspect it to be sin, actually. Now, after naming numerous sins already that are well-known, you might be itching to find out what it is that I'm speaking of. Well, you might be shocked that the very opposites of the sins that I've already mentioned can be just as evil to the Lord and just as liable to send us to hell. Yes, your goodness, all the good things that you've ever done, your righteousness, your good deeds can send you straight to hell just as fast as any other sin would. Adultery, murder, yes, your goodness. Did you know that if me preaching, all the, that me preaching up here on the pulpit today can send me directly to hell? Helping out in the community can send me to hell. Loving my friends and my family faithfully can send me to hell. As we'll see in the passage today, Jesus himself, will confront us with the sobering reality of the true nature of the gospel and how deep and gracious it actually is. I just want to forewarn you this morning, though, because of some of the examples that I'm going to use, you might feel a little offended by it because some of the sins that I mentioned you may have experienced or someone close to you may have experienced it themselves. But I feel it necessary to use such examples in order for us to get a clear understanding, to get a full grasp of what the gospel means and how deep and how awesome and how magnificent grace really is. I think in our time and age, we've, we've fallen into um, the mistake uh, or made the mistake of categori categorizing certain sins as more forgivable than others. For instance, when someone 
commits a crime such as being an alcoholic or being a drug addict, uh, even in our time and age, we, we're more acceptant of that right now, you know? We will minister to someone like that, right? We'll, um, we'll, we'll say, yeah, the gospel is, we'll, we'll want to preach the gospel to someone like that, and, and, and we're, 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 uh, it, we'll, we'll think to ourselves, yeah, that, that drug addict right there, I want to preach the gospel to him. Um, he can be saved, he can be reached. But there are other sins that we're slower or more hesitant to offer um, the gospel to. Are we, would we be as quick to preach the gospel to a pedophile as we would to someone that um, was in trouble for, uh, for speeding? Would we be as quick to preach the gospel, to share the gospel to someone that's committed murder or someone that's committed a rape as we would to someone, let's say, that has, again, broken many traffic laws? Well, I'm actually going to prepare myself because... Uh, Again, as I've looked over this passage and noticed the offense of the gospel and, and the depths of, of how deep it really is, um, some of you might get offended by what Jesus is saying and what the message is behind this parable in which we're going to be going through right now. If you want to turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, you're going to get an understanding, an idea of what it is that I want to get across to us this morning. And it reads, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I give tithes of all that I get. I kind of skipped the first part. I, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, again, as I've pondered upon this passage and looked at this passage, meditated upon it, um, and tried to get an understanding of what Jesus is saying, I can somewhat understand now a little more clearly why some people grumbled at Jesus when he gave his messages. The first century listeners understood very clearly what Jesus was saying here. But because of the context of their cultures and our cultures, it's, been, um, it's, it's quite different. So to us, we wouldn't see the tax collector as despicable or as an outcast as they would. Those of us that have read the Gospels many times over and are familiar with such passages like this are so accustomed with the truth that the Pharisees were the bad guys and they were the enemies of Jesus, always 
looking to accuse him, confronting him on many occasions. They challenged him. But I think that one of the reasons that why they hated him so much was that they understood what the gospel was. They found grace to be a very, very much scandalous idea. And we would too if we could see it in light of how they saw it. But before I go off and explain to you a more modern or relevant explanation of this parable, I'd like to teach or or explain the passage within its context because I just want you guys to be able to know that what I'm saying or, or the examples that I'm giving, it's not just to be controversial or to kind of prick at your hearts on purpose, but I want you guys to know and see the relationship between the examples that I'm going to use with what Scripture says as true and not something foreign or something of my own understanding, my own wisdom. I want you guys to, to see that and, and, and be confident in what I'm saying to be biblical to be sound and to be true and not false and not my own ideas. And in this passage, it's important to see or to note who Jesus is speaking to. He was speaking to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. But not only that, they also treated others with contempt, meaning that they despised those who didn't walk like them, who didn't talk like them, who wasn't sanctified unto the Lord like them, sinners who weren't like them. In the parable, there's, there's two men who go up to the temple to pray. One, again, the Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Let's first look at the Pharisee, the character in which Jesus explains here. First, in verse 11, it speaks of how he differs from men morally. There's two different categories here in scriptures, verse 11, verse 12, and how this guy, how the Pharisee differs from other men. The first one is the way in which he defers men in the moral aspects. In verse 11, it says that the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, or adulterers, or like adulterers. Notice how he's saying, he's not, he's not, he's not. Remember in my introduction, I said that certain things can send you to hell, like not being these very things that I'm mentioning now. Then in verse 12, we find the religious way in which he defers from other men. He fasts twice a week, and he he gives tithes of all that he gets. Again, we know that the Pharisees were the bad guys, but according to Jesus' description of this guy, when we compare him or or kind of look at this guy based on our standards, this guy is actually pretty good. Tell me what parents in here wouldn't want their daughter dating someone who has the very qualities that this Pharisee displays. Who wouldn't want their daughter to date or marry someone who's faithful, morally upright, and isn't unfair with others, but treats everyone fairly? If this Pharisee was a Christian, Here today, I guarantee you that his pious life would put many, if not all of us, to shame. So before we go into our thoughts of judgmental mode, of thinking that, yeah, the Pharisees were the bad guy, please take that into consideration. Because if this guy were here today, he would 
be equivalent to someone that we would look up to, such as maybe a deacon or an elder who serves faithfully. You wouldn't suspect this guy to be a hypocrite. You would look up to him if he was here. So again, before we jump into the judgmental mode of looking at the Pharisees as the bad guys, let's take that into serious consideration, that the Pharisees were upright men. These are the kind of guys that you would want in city hall and, and, and representing us because these guys weren't corrupt. Next, we have the tax collector. And his prayer is not as long, but simply, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, contrary to the, feral, uh, the, the faithful, moral Pharisee, the tax collectors were the outcaster, the despised of their community because they collected Taxes for the Roman Empire. They were considered traitors to their nation. And not just that, they pocketed much for themselves. These guys would be considered the modern-day loan sharks who charge high interest rates, making it very difficult for the blue-collar worker to gain, um, make it in life. Someone that's living from paycheck to paycheck. This guy doesn't play fair. He doesn't deal fairly with men, but he's crooked, the very polar opposite of who the Pharisee is. The contrast between these two are as night and day, but at the end of the parable, it's quite shocking what Jesus says. The outcome of this parable is quite contrary to how we think in our world or how our society operates. If you think about it closely enough or, or just look at it quite in, in, intently, it's a, it's a scandalous thing that's happening in this parable that a man full of sin goes down to his house justified rather than the other, the one that lives a moral and upright life. Isn't, aren't those the ones who commit a crime to be the ones punished? Aren't they the ones to go to jail? And yet in this parable, in this passage, it says that the one who didn't live a moral life, the one who lived ungodly, is the one who went down to his house justified rather than the religious man. Astounding. That is quite scandalous if you ask me. And again, I think we've become too familiar with scriptures and with stories like this one. And you guys might be thinking to yourself, yeah, Dennis, we know that. Hmm. We know that the Pharisees were the bad guys. We know that. We know that the tax collector, and even as I'm giving you this message, as I'm trying to explain to you what I'm saying, I think it still isn't hitting the, the, the truth of the matter to you guys. And Well, now let me give you a more modern example of what this parable is saying. Something that'll hit home, and again, it's not my intention to be controversial, but I want you guys to grasp the parable here, and I want, to, I want you guys to grasp what Jesus is saying and what he wants us to know through this passage. Rather than the Pharisee going up to the temple to pray, picture with me for a second, an elder or a deacon in the church that serves faithfully, that ministers his heart out. Someone that you look up to, someone that, 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 you would, uh, that, that, you, that really influences you and, and that you're encouraged by. Let's picture for a second Dan Deckard. I asked him, by the way, if I could use his name, and he said yes, so I'm going to use his name. Thanks, Dan. Dan Deckard or some other leader in the church that's really close to you. Now picture this person, whoever it is that you've imagined, um, and if you still got Dan Deckard in your head, keep him in your head. 
he, he, he goes up to the temple or to the church to pray, God, thank you that you've kept me from many sins. And because of you, I'm not like men who cheat on their wives. I'm faithful. And I don't look at other women or go to X-rated websites. I've ministered to many in my congregation and into the sheepfold in which you've given me to minister to. I've been a blessing to many. And I'm never late to service. In fact, I'm there three hours before anybody is. I'm getting everything prepared. And then picture another person that represents the tax collector. Someone that we can really relate to and, 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 uh, and, and grasp as scandalous and, and a truly a sinner. Picture now James Holmes, the one that was just involved in the Aurora shooting, killing all those people, devastating that community. Now picture this man or picture another sinner that we despise that, and, and, and one in whom we find as despicable and we wouldn't even want our kids next to them. Picture for a second with me. Just imagine this scenario and some, uh, just imagine the scene with me. A pedophile or a rapist or a murderer. Someone that we really despise and, and someone that that society considers as an outcast that wouldn't want anything to do with this person. And imagine for your seconds that God testifies of this man after he prays. Picture James Holmes praying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Picture a pedophile. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Picture a murderer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God saying and testifying, this man rather than Dan Deckard, went down to his house justified. Wouldn't that blow your mind away? Wouldn't that just shake things up? Why, why does this man get saved? And, and why is this man told to us by Jesus that he's justified? He's committed so many crimes, and, and Dan Deckard's been an outstanding um, uh, uh, influence in, in the congregation. What is going on? Where is the justice in that? backwards, is it not? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. On a side note, too, I'm not saying that Dan Deckard is going to go to hell. I'm just using that as an example. I didn't do that last service, and so I want to clarify that. <laughs> I love that man. He's not going to hell. At least I don't think so. <laughs> okay, now to really understand what's going on in this passage and why this backwards event is going on, this backwards judgment is going on where the sinner goes down justified rather than the other. Let's take a look, a closer and intent look at the passage or the prayers of this man or what the Pharisee is doing and what the, what the tax collector is doing. What the Pharisee is doing and what we do as fallen creatures is comparing himself with other men. Maybe we tell a white lie. Maybe we speed. Maybe, maybe we, we do some sin that's, that's not as bad as others. But compared to other fallen creatures, other sinful men that have fallen far shorter from the glory of God, I'm actually not bad at all. I'm actually quite good. That's exactly what's going on here. 
This, this Pharisee is looking at the world around him, at the people around him, and he's comparing himself. He's basing his righteousness based on what he sees in how he lives his life and how other people live their lives. We can live our lives religiously. We can live a good life and we can get people to think that we are good people because we minister in the church. We volunteer at the Leaven or we volunteer at Mission Solano. But God sees the truth of the matter. God sees what other men cannot see that lies dormant, that lies hidden within the chambers of our hearts. They may speak a good word about me for working at Mission Solano or for preaching at Parkway Community Church, but what God sees is unseen by the eyes of the, of the world. God sees the true nature of our hearts. <laughs> when people say good things about us, it's only because they're ignorant of the sinfulness that lies within our hearts. But God knows. Oh, God knows. God knows it all. Hmm. And when we do this, when we start to compare ourselves with other men, we start to, to, to think that, again, we're not that bad. We're not that bad compared to that guy that just shot three guys, four guys, five guys. I'm not that bad. All I do is speed. Don't get me wrong, the Christian life is not destitute, as John Calvin said, of good deeds. But let us never forget what the Word of God says about our good deeds. It is God at work in you, both to will and to work of His good pleasure. The works in the Christian life are themselves the outworking of grace, making itself manifest in our lives. It is God at work in you and in me, and it's not anything that we can cling on and base or, uh, or cling on to as, as merit and, and bring before God. Look at this, God. Look at this. Look at me. Look at me. Be careful. Be careful lest you begin to trust in what God is doing through you rather than what God has already done for you, namely imputing the perfect righteousness of Jesus' life to you, dying on the cross for your sins and rising for your justification. Do not mistake your sanctification for your justification. Do not think that you can be made right because you do good things. Again, it is God at work in you. It is God that's working in you to, to, to do of these good things. And it is by His grace that we've been given regenerated hearts, new lives, able to respond to Him, able to love Him, able to come to church and, and love His people and love everything of the Christian faith. It is all of God. God first loved us before we could love Him. Before we ever loved Him, we were enemies of the cross. We were enemies of the living God. But you see, that's why the tax collector was justified rather than the Pharisee because he looked not to himself to be approved by God, but rather he looked in, inside of himself and he saw an ocean of sin. He saw sinfulness. He saw much, much wickedness and much evil in himself and he saw no hope in and of himself. And he did the only thing that he saw was the way out and which, which was to trust and lean upon the mercy of God. Listen to his prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not, God, I, I know I committed all these crimes, and so I'm going to make up for it. And, and so he starts heaping up all the good works that, he, uh, that he's done to kind of outweigh all the bad deeds that he did. He did not do that. He trusted solely upon the mercies of God. God was working a miracle in this man's heart. He was shooting the arrows of the convicting power of his spirit into this man's heart, and he saw much filth in, in his heart. We, think to, we, we tend to think that some people are good, but again, we don't see the true nature of people's hearts. It's easy for us to hide the sins from the world, but God sees it all. God sees our hearts. We can lie to others. We can cover up our sins with our self-righteous acts and our good deeds and, and have people think that we're not that bad. But again, God sees it all. God sees it all. And so this Pharisee, having had the Holy Spirit work in his heart, turns to the only way out, to the only possible way that he saw could be the means of his salvation, which was to trust in the mercy of God, to be made right with God. He turned to the mercies of God. You see, he looks upward, and he didn't look that way like the, the Pharisee did. And then he didn't look, the Pharisee looked that way and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm all right, right? Now I ask you here this morning, are you like the Pharisee who trusted in his own righteousness to be justified before God? Are you trusting in the garment of your goodness and your good deeds, your Bible reading devotions, your committed morning prayers, or even your study of solid doctrine, solid theology to be made right with God? Just because you come to Parkway, just because we come to Parkway, does that automatically mean that we're saved and, and we're right with God because we know the truth? Again, none of these things that I just mentioned are evil or bad in and of themselves, but are you trusting in them for your righteousness? Remember what Jesus said of the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do you know scriptures and not know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you come to Bible studies and, and, and not have a love for God or have a love for His Son and, and have a deep, deep conviction of, uh, of your sin and, and, and just a love for God? Is it just tradition for you that you come here this morning to worship in the building that God's given us and, and to sing these these wonderful praise music that, that, that we sing, is, is it just tradition to you? And are you trusting in them? Are you saying to yourself this morning, I, I'm, I'm all right, I'm good. I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. I think I know God. Uh, uh, I, I come to church, I pray, I give my tithes. I give my tithes. I fast. I go to Bible study. I'm committed Man, I disciple people. I disciple people. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Or are you like the tax collector who after looking in your own hearts see so much sin, but still even with the faith the size of a mustard seed, trust in the God who gives so much grace. The God whose grace is greater than our sin.
Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a gospel that is absolutely and scandalously all of grace. You and I are only going to be made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, apart from any merit of our own. Apart from any Bible study, apart from any good deeds that we do, we are saved solely by grace in Christ alone. We trust in Him alone. He is sufficient. The work of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover and to forgive all of my sins, to make me right with God, perfectly make me right with God. I need not add anything to my Jesus. But are you adding something to your Jesus? Are you adding something to the finished work of Jesus and thinking that his work, that his death, is insufficient for your salvation? Grace, it has a twofold meaning. The first in the negative sense, God rejects all carnal effort. And in the positive sense, if you're to believe and if you're to believe and trust in him, you will receive God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Awesome, is it not? Is, it, is, is grace not beautiful? Is the, the love of God so wonderfully displayed for us? By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, the Son of God who is wounded for our transgressions, by whose stripes we have been healed. For He, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If that's you this morning, you can sing with me those beautiful words that Augustus penned down. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's commands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. Is that where you're at? Is that where you're at? You can rest today in the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like that book. I, forgot, I don't know how to say his name. John, you know who I'm talking about. But his t- the title of the book is Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. That is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. What a wonderful and marvelous truth that we can come here this morning and, and know that we are forgiven by a God in whom we've rebelled against, a holy and righteous God. And in spite of who we are, in spite of the many failures that we've committed against Him, we can cling to the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven. We can be loved by God. We don't have to go through some counseling session. I don't have to pray harder. I don't have to pray 10 times, 20 times, 100 times a day for Him to forgive me. I don't have to see a counselor to make me right. I can come to a Jesus who will make me right. I don't have to wash myself or clean myself. I can come just as I am. As sinful as I am, I will not be rejected, neither will you. 
There may be some of you here this morning that are believers that have trusted in Christ. Maybe you've gone wayward. Maybe you're living in a sinful manner and, and you've turned away from the Lord and you're not living the, the life intended as becoming a Christian. Well, I hope that you would abandon all hopes and self-righteousness and, and all hopes of thinking that you've got to do something in order to be accepted or be received back by God. Abandon all hopes and all trust in self and come to Christ. Come to Christ and He will receive you. He will forgive you. Isn't that amazing? Is it not amazing? The gospel of grace, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is an awesome message and I pray that it's speaking to somebody this morning. I'm not just speaking words. I know and I believe that God has called me here today because He is a God of grace. He is glorifying Himself in His, in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. He loved those that didn't deserve His grace. Or you may be someone here visiting or someone's invited you. I know I've invited quite a few people and I see a few of your faces. And, and you're wondering who this Jesus is, what this God thing is all about, what is Christianity all about. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ who freely forgives you of your sin. It's, it's absolutely free on your part, meaning that you don't have to do anything as far as cleaning yourself up, doing good deeds to be made right with him, but rather if you would just cling to him, trust in him completely for the salvation of your souls, you will be forgiven. Amen. Amen. That is awesome. That is awesome. I just want to touch back one more time. I just want to reiterate that. Uh, as far as the believer goes, i um, Again, if, if you're living in, a, in, in such a way that, that's unbecoming of a Christian, maybe you're, you're, you're addicted to some sin and you're stuck there and you're thinking to yourself, I've got to do something to be accepted by God. And, and, and so you, you read your Bible more, you start praying more. I urge you and I want to encourage you to, to flee from, from the sin of trusting in your own righteousness. Because all of our righteousness, if we cling to them, are just as filthy rags to the Lord. But if we would cling unto the Lord Jesus Christ and, and receive him and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be putting on the perfect righteousness and the perfect garments of Jesus Christ. Better than any of our righteousness. May God be glorified this morning. May God draw someone here this morning and, and that's heard this message. We serve an awesome God. We serve an amazing, wonderful, magnificent, self-sufficient God who didn't need us, who doesn't need us, who will never need us. And yet he's plucked us, plucked each and every one of us that are clinging to him, that are believing in him, that, and, and that are trusting in Jesus Christ. He's taken us from that path to hell, that road of destruction in which we were traveling on, and he's plucked us and he's brought us into his marvelous light, and we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We're going to sing a couple more songs, and I, I pray that you would just sing your hearts out.
That you would sing your hearts out to the God who is, to the God who loves, to the God who will always love you. And in spite of all the failures and mistakes we've made yesterday, today, before coming to the service, and the many sins and mistakes that we will commit, His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust not in your works. Trust not in your own righteousness, but trust in the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not just putting up a show here. I just want to keep preaching right now. I'm not here to entertain. I'm not here to give you a show. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. This God, holy and perfect, has communed with my sinful self and has given me life. Has has given me life. Has given you life if you've trusted in Him. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So as we sing these songs, let us sing our hearts out to the Lord Jesus Christ. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for who you are to us, Lord. You've given us so much grace. So, so much grace that we don't deserve, Lord. And Father, I want to thank you that you've woken us up this morning, dear God, and you've brought us to this place to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have delivered it and and that it would have penetrated into the hearts of those in attendance here, God. Lord, we bless your name and we thank you for being so good to us. So as we sing here, dear God, we sing to the glorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing because of his love. We sing to you, O God, because you loved us first, O Lord. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, O God. Thank you, God. We praise your name. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.